Kilo Vault. Ace really, thanks for stopping by. Our pleasure. Billy Squire. Hello, Billy. Hello there. Opens now. Welcome inside the Kilo Vault for quality time with a Colorado boy. Traveling back to the summer of 1988. And if you were to Google, you can Google it right now, music and movies that wouldn't fly today. There are hundreds, literally hundreds of lists of all kinds of movies and music that may be deemed inappropriate today. Whether right or wrong, it's just, it's a thing. People point to a lot of movies. Um, Blazing Saddles, for instance. Guns N' Roses used to love her. It goes on and on. Today's artist, his biggest song is on those lists. We got Quality Time with Kip Winger of the band Winger and their big song, 17, with the lyric, uh, let's see here. She's only 17. Her daddy says she's too young, but she's old enough for me. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't fly up. <laughs> Buzz, <laughs> wrong. But hey, it was the wild end of the 80s. Everything flew, right? So yeah, born in Colorado, uh, spent years in Colorado. We get his big break in 1985 when he joined Alice Cooper's band. Well, I mean, I guess his big break was when he was born handsome. But the, the big musical break was the 85 addition to Cooper's band. Uh, he'd break loose from that. And then in 1988, with his new band uh, debut, their self-titled record, Winger. Then, of course, it would be tough times. A couple albums after that, the band would fizzle. Didn't get a whole lot of help with Beavis and Butthead. Uh, having Stuart the Nerd wear the Winger shirt. That's a... That's a thing. And I didn't understand until I was reading up for this vault episode that uh, Metallica, there's video of Metallica throwing darts at a winger picture. It was during the uh, making of the Black Album. And that, that video is still out there if you want to Google that. And he also points to the fact that that didn't help. Have Metallica throw darts at a picture of me and Stuart wear the winger shirt. The writing was on the wall. But this is just before or maybe just during the band's initial blow up. Let's check out Kip Winger with, I believe, Alan White doing the interview inside the Keto Vault. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that just shocked me. No. <laughs> oh, my ears. <laughs> okay. You know, I just I was just skimming over the uh, the CD, and I hadn't listened to the whole thing all the way through yet, and so I didn't know that you did Purple Haze. Oh, yeah, we did. Which is wild, and Dweezil plays on it. Yeah. Did you Have you known him for a while, or? Well, what happened was is we were in, in doing the record, and, and that was kind of an extra addition because I wanted to cover that song and, and have a guitar jam on it. And he was in town hosting MTV. He was hanging out at the studio because Bo did his last album. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Bo, he'll produce yours. Yeah. And so, you know, we kind of we got to know each other, and then we wanted, like, the guitar jam to happen at the end of the song. I mean, you know, for, uh, for such a young kid, I mean, obviously his background is... You know, quite extraordinary. Yeah. Um, He's an amazing guitar player. Yeah. I think commercial success will come to him eventually. It's just, it's so funny how things work out and how, you know, the little breaks come your way and, and how things just don't go your way sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's just a weird... It's, yeah, there's a lot more to it than just being good. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, anyways, I'm rolling tape, so we're just sort of, we'll just sort of talk a little bit. Um... You play bass and sing. Yeah, I do. Um, the band was was the band originally called Winger in Denver. Yes, it was when we. Uh, I grew up in Denver, and uh, 
my parents had a band and had three sons and put us in a band and we had three sons and one other guy that wasn't in the family and we uh we were uh colorado for eight years and then we changed it to winger and uh, we played in denver man we played uh mr lucky's the godfather all of those clubs you know for years i played mr lucky's when i was 14 mm. and uh, we played like all the high school proms and you know we did everything you could to to keep playing around denver and then we started branching out and we played around you know phoenix and area you know texas and all those kind of places mm -hmm. And when did the association with uh, Alice Cooper come? Well, when I uh, left the band, I moved to New York, and I was a waiter for eight months because I couldn't get arrested. You know, it was just, you know, the total grim reality of New York. And uh, But I had known Bo for about eight years because he produced us back in Denver ten years ago. And uh, he did Alice Cooper's Constrictor album and, and hired me to play bass on half of the album. And another guy played bass on half the album. And then I sang all the background vocals, and uh, I was in there, and I was kind of friendly with Alice. I mean, I was very intimidated by Alice because he was such a superstar when I was growing up, and he had such a huge influence on me when I was growing up in, in Denver. And uh, I, you know, it got a little bit more relaxed, and so I pulled him, a, pulled him aside and said, you know, if you go out on tour, call me because I'm going. <laughs> and I was kind of forward with him, and... And he got kind of excited by that because they were talking about a tour. And so in uh, August of 86, he called me for the tour. And uh, we rehearsed for a month and went out supposedly for two months and ended up being up, ended up being out for nine months. And uh, it was great. It was the best thing that ever happened. And then you look at that as sort of a catalyst for your current project. Absolutely. I mean, it... it the Alice Cooper experience directed me in terms of, you know, learning how, uh, excuse me, learning what the kids are really into, you know, because I, I had spent four years being out of touch with the public because I hadn't done many live gigs. And so when I worked with Alice, it was just hands-on reality to the kids. And that is what, that is what single-handedly focused me for the band Winger. And when I was on the road, I met Paul Taylor, the keyboard player in my band. And, and uh, I had been in a band with Reb before. When I was in New York, we were kind of recording demos and, yeah, let's do a band. It is, you know, I met Reb when we both played on Fiona's album, Beyond the Pale. And, uh, and I, was, I said, you know, let's do some stuff together. But we never really did anything. And so when I went on the road with Alice, I kind of broke up and... I met Paul, and, and uh, we were like, well, let's put a band together. I know this great guitar player, but we didn't have a drummer. Mm -hmm. and that brings up the subject of the other name player in your band, Rod Morgenstein, who played with the Dregs. Yeah, well, Rev had jammed with Rod about two years ago in a little jam session in a club, you know, in, in nowhere, USA. And Reb grew up on the Dregs and was always a huge Dregs fan. Well, I had never heard of the band. I didn't know anything about them or anything, just out of, because I've always listened to, uh, you know, either rock music or I was, you know, on the other end of it, like some classical or this or that. But I'd never heard the Dregs, which is really funny, because now I'm like one of the big Dregs fans of all time. But a guy where we were cutting the demos at knew Rod and said, I know this great drummer for you guys, Rod Morgenstein. And Reb goes, oh, my God, you know Rod? And I was like, well, who is he? And so 
So uh, he came in and listened to the demos, and he liked the demos, got kind of excited about it, so we decided to jam. And one night down in New York City, we jammed. Um, you know, songs like Time Surrender and Hungry and Madeleine, you know, in the very, very bare-bone stage. And uh, it was just total magic. I mean, when we when we played with him, we just knew there was no turning back. We had mm -hmm. to play with Rod, you know, because he's just the ultimate drummer. So we got him on the album, and the more he played on the album, he, he really got into the music, and, and uh, we all became really good friends. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the big key to this band over the trans of the last year is that emotionally this band has the commitment of a, of a Metallica or you know of, of a Megadeth or an Anthrax with the in opposed in juxtaposition of what you would get when you put on like a you know a Foreigner album you might not get the same emotional commitment from the guys in the band although we're playing music that's more like a Foreigner or you know, in that realm of reality mm -hmm. because Madeline is is a is a a rock song, although it has the acoustic. Um, oh, I don't know. The, the bridge is just sort. Of, it, it brings you down and then it takes you back up again. Right. Yeah. It's kind of. It's definitely not a heavy metal song or a heavy metal band. Um, the key for me, I've always been uh, of the opinion for myself that if I didn't write music, I would never be a musician. And, and I've always been really into writing arrangements because arrangements of songs are, I think, the most important way to bring a song to life. And you can have a good song and make a good song great with a great arrangement. So that's why there's a lot of that type of thing on our album. And that was the other reason why we did Purple Haze because the one thing I did not want to do was make an album that was too safe, which a lot of bands like us group of guys that have had some experience would do they would go all right let's calculate what's going to be successful and let's record it the one thing that i really did not want to do was make an album full of almost hits you know so we took a lot of chances in doing purple haze i mean half the record company didn't even think that should go on our album they thought mm -hmm. it was a sacrilege and i thought great that's what rock and roll is mm -hmm. in the system yeah you know so we thought hey we never meant anything to slag Jimmy by it. If Jimmy was alive, he'd probably love it, you know. So we kind of zapped it out or whatever and uh, got Dweezil in there and had a big dueling guitar jam that goes on forever, which is, you know, why would you even think that your single is going to be the last song on that side? Or even like Headed for a Heartbreak, where we do a very long extended outro on it and uh, it goes on forever, you know. That's, that's kind of what we're into, you know. If we... If we know a song is going to be a single, then we'll we'll kind of go for that. But you know, a lot of songs you just know aren't singles, and people don't want to hear singles all the time. People, I think that's the thing about the '60s that's really gone now is that there aren't that many albums. You know, when you think of that's a great album, cut for cut. Yeah, and uh, now it's just that's a great song, and the, but the, but it's the best song on the album, and I got gypped when I bought it. You know, hmm. these are all the things that that Winger as a band was really fighting to try to do mm -hmm. well obviously the album is a culmination of many years for you and your musicians your bandmates of, of uh ideas and 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 uh musical thoughts and it's so difficult to put those down and then come back 
because uh, I've seen it time and time again, where the first album is such a surprise and the second album comes back because the record companies expect you in six months or eight months to come back and give them the same thing that you gave them on the first record and try to f copy the formula and do the whole thing. And, you know, you look at somebody like Julian Lennon who spent, you know, all his year, you know, his whole youth doing this and, and then, you know, all of a sudden he's like expected to, uh, you know, follow that up with another masterpiece in, in a short, very short period of time. And I, I just think it's so unrealistic. Uh-huh. I think you're right in, in that way, but the, the one place that we differ from that is that all those songs were written within a period of seven months. Um, June of uh, 87 until... February 1st or so, that's when we went in the studio. Because Reb and I, we have all these songs from the old days, you know, I've got like 800,000 songs mm -hmm. that I wrote one day ago, but exactly the point you're making is, is, is another one of the big fears of that we had. And, we, and quite honestly, I mean, we were just writing the better songs then, so what we did was is we wrote an overabundance of material for the album and recorded it and picked the best eight or the best ten out of out of 16 songs that we recorded and uh and and reb and i are continually writing so i come a little bit from the school of of if i'm as i'm only as good as my last song as a person you know like and so we write a lot you know and, and so I'm, I'm really already we're, we're we're already working on our second album and we're hoping that we can avoid that problem because that's a big problem. I mean, Boston did it, and every a lot of people put out their second album is simply not as good. Mm -hmm. What are your immediate plans? Is the band going to uh, be out on the road? Are we going to get a chance to see in the uh, Denver Springs area? Yeah, we uh, we're just getting our agency together, and we're planning a promotional tour starting September fifteenth or so, and uh, we'll probably go for four weeks, and hopefully get you know pick up a tour and never come home that's what i'm hoping you know i just want to we want to do the promotional tour starting probably around the denver denver area start going west pick up something and just stay out all right great um let's um because let's... another part that's really important to us is that, that we sound like the album live you know i hate bands that, that just suck live when you see them well do you think that's because they they try to accomplish too much in the studio yeah, I do. I mean, I think it's a, it's a combination of two things. The producer tries to make something with a band that can't do it anyway, or they overproduce themselves. Like, if I played you the demos to this album, it, it's exactly the same, only the performances are better and a few things are changed. But but uh, we were really insistent, because Rod comes from a band that just totally blows you away live. Mm -hmm. You know, and so that was a big part of it. Well, in, in my mind, it's it's always been sort of a, a flip-flop of reality because music, to me, was meant to be performed uh -huh. as opposed to an artificial means of reproducing, going into the studio and doing everything separately and then overdubs and, and all the other tricks that are done in the studio. It just seems like it's 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 come and flip-flopped in a, in, a, in a way. Yeah, it has. You're right. And, and that's, that's one thing that we really want to try to overcome. And we didn't go, you know, putting keyboards all over our albums. I mean, on some cuts, the keyboards are, are very prominent, but it's only because we felt the song needed it. And we mm -hmm. can do it live, you know. So, mm -hmm. 
so we didn't find ourselves in that position. You know, one band that I'm amazed that pulled their album off as well as, well as I do is Def Leppard. Mm-hmm. That, that just, I really have to hand it to them because they really go overboard on the production, but they pull it off live. Yeah, well, that's uh, obviously the mark of good musicians, yeah, first of all. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, we, we really look forward to seeing you guys come through uh, Colorado again, and you know, I'm sure all your old fans will remember you from uh, from the old days, and um, you know, we wish you all the uh, success in the world. Thank you very much. You I really appreciate it. We appreciate all the support from people in Colorado that we can get because I'm from there, and I totally am proud of being from Colorado. Yeah, well, we've had our share of good musicians, and, and yeah, um, we have. We've had a good run of it. There's been a lot of very successful people come out of there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, before we close, let's uh, let's uh, do a little intro to uh, to Madeleine. Uh, give me an idea of what uh, what went into the song, and uh, you know how uh, how you decided to you know put it, the first song on the record. And hold, hold on with it. I'm sorry. It's okay. Uh, something just. Yeah, just give me a little, you know, a, a little quick intro to the song, um, if you want. Uh, Station ID. On yeah, that'd be fine. It's, it's um, what are the le- what are the numbers on, on K- KILO? It's Kilo ninety four. Kilo ninety four. Uh huh. Okay. Are we rolling? We're rolling. Hey, this is Kip Winger of Winger, and you're listening to Kilo ninety four in Colorado Springs. And I'm from Denver, and I want you people to know in Denver that Denver is where it's at. And this is our new song, Madeleine. Perfect. Definitely a proud Coloradan right there, huh? And originally the band was called Colorado, his first band. If he had stuck with that, uh, I don't think that would have been on Stewart's T-shirt. And and speaking of the Mike Judge using uh, Winger as, as Stewart's T-shirt, which was, like I said, one, one of the blows against the band, I Googled why. They chose Winger and didn't really get an answer there, but did come across a 2014 interview with Kip Winger talking about how he's made peace with Mike Judge. When they did the Beavis and Butthead remake, I found Mike and I told him I wanted to clear the air. I've never tried to sue MTV or Mike. I never had a problem with the cartoon. I don't know if you could actually sue just because we're in a t-shirt. Anyway, I mean, it was David and Goliath, really. There was nothing you could do but take it like a man. It certainly didn't help us, I'll tell you that. But it was a funny show, and Mike's a funny guy. So it's all water under the bridge, I guess, in the uh, Beavis and Butthead realm. As far as Metallica, besides Googling and seeing the the video, there's really not a whole lot of discussion after that. You know, I'd always been told, too, that uh, that Kip Winger was a professor or did did some kind of uh, teaching work at CU Boulder, but I could not find anything on the web to confirm that some of that was just internet lies or even this probably even predates the internet, uh, just random lies. It, maybe, maybe I could, I was just looking for the wrong thing. If someone can correct that, we have an email. It's uh, kilo vault at kilo nine, four, three.com. If any questions or comments, always available to you there. And there we have it. Quality time with Kip winger. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Give us a nice rating, subscribe, tell your friends, all the, All the uh, podcast jargon. Do it. Help us out. And thanks for visiting the Keto Vault.